The Reminiscing in Time podcast is brought to you by the Indiana University Jacobs School of Music Centennial Committee and Office of Communications. Join the celebration online at music.indiana.edu. I'm John Christopher Porter, and this is Reminiscing in Time from the IU Jacobs School of Music. As promised in this special bonus episode of the pod, we present the full, unfiltered, and truly inspirational story of baritone and doctoral student in voice, Jeremiah Sanders. Let's get started. My name is Jeremiah Sanders, and I am a third-year doctoral student studying voice. I'm a baritone, and I am from Marion, Indiana. What inspired me to embark on a career in singing would have to be my connection to faith. Um, I started singing with my great-grandmother in uh, our church choir, Calvary Beth Missionary Baptist Church in Marion, Indiana, and um, I was probably maybe three or four at the time, and she would always drag me to rehearsals, and every time I went, I had so much fun um, running around the choir loft and just being a part of the music, and I don't know if many of you know what music is like in the Black church, but it's very captivating and electrifying and collaborative and it just is an a unique experience unlike any other thing that I have been a part of since. Um, and so that's my foundation. I arrived at the Jacobs School of Music in 2017. Um, I had met my teacher, Jane Dutton, um, at a summer program the year prior um, when I was a master's student at Butler University in Indianapolis. I sang a couple of notes for her uh, in a practice room um, at the summer program in Mexico, uh, the San Miguel Institute of Bel Canto. And I also had an opportunity to work with her in a master class. And what she was able to do in such a short amount of time uh, with me as a singer was just incredible. And I immediately afterwards asked her to to take some time with me if she could because uh, the schedule was pretty rigorous and she she made time for me and uh, she warmed me up and uh, she said you know you should come to IU and I said oh no I don't think so <laughs> I'm from Indiana I've been here for a while I'm ready to get out and she said oh no you know IU's a great place and I'd be happy to make any connections for you at IU if you wanted to meet some, some teachers and um, whatever, whatever you need. I think you should come here, though. I'm happy to help. And I thought, 
wow, that, that's really, now I can say, that's really special. Um, and, and I'm just super grateful to have um, had the opportunity to work with her. I didn't know that the teacher that I would be studying with in my second year of my master's and, and Jane Dutton are actually really great friends, Kirsten Gunlockson, who is an IU alum um, and helped me significantly as well, um, both in my last year of my master's degree and to get here uh, to IU. And so because of those two, I ended up here and um, it was a big scary place at first, but I think that I've successfully navigated IU and and have really given you know my all and and made my mark in a distinct way and I feel that IU has definitely helped me exponentially grow into the artist that I am today and that I want to be. So one of the things that um, I think is super important. And that I realized pretty early on is the way that we run things here is different than school as far as IU Opera is concerned. I think the rehearsal schedule and the coachings and just the preparation to to be able to show up to Maestro Week, the first week where we just have music rehearsals, was a huge adjustment for me early on. And I also think managing the rigor of the coursework outside of the rehearsal schedule for the operas, um, just that type of pacing and being able to get into a flow for each of the individual responsibilities that I have as a student and as a performer and now as an associate instructor. All of those demands need different types of attention and focus and and care and thoughtful strategic planning. And so I, I feel that just the very nature of the IU opera ecology is translatable to my life outside of IU. At least I think so. We'll see. <laughs> ask me ask me in a couple of years. Just being able to to show up, focus in, make sure that you're prepared ahead of time, the organization, the detailed uh, work that you have to do when you're singing in a foreign language, the nuance. Um, I wasn't a very strong actor when I got here, and Professor Michael Shell really helped get me out of my comfort zone and really own who I was and the the body that I show up in. Um, I had a lot of uh, negative uh, feedback before I got here about um, my size and what types of characters I, I would play and just, you know, body image things that honestly are kind of rampant in the opera industry. And so I'm, I've been very fortunate to have such wonderful mentors who support me as I am. And, you know, the conversations that we have are, are always from a place of care and concern and compassion and understanding and, and brutal honesty. Sometimes, you know, 
I feel the team that I have here have been very good at helping me understand that the industry does need to change and I can be the change, but I that also comes with a lot of weight and a lot of baggage. And so the support that they they have offered and and helping me really believe in my myself and my craft and the work that I'm trying to um, put out there has just been so 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 I don't even have words for it really because truly after I graduated from undergrad I took a gap year because I didn't see a clear path for me in the opera industry. I thought, you know, um, there aren't a lot of Black people doing opera. I went to a very small school, Manchester University in Northeast Indiana, and I I loved my time there. I, I was so nurtured and so challenged and so supported, and those experiences are super important to me. However, the major that I decided on was not one of the larger programs. There were four people, I think, who were music majors in my graduating class. So going from that type of very limited, as far as resources and exposure to big names and things like that, like and then coming to IU several years later, it's just a whole mindset adjustment. Uh, I guess in all of that, what I'm saying is the infrastructure that we have, the resources that we have, are not always poured into every student because I don't think every student here realizes just how many opportunities are available. And honestly... Because there are so many opportunities, it sometimes is, you know, oversaturating or overstimulating and and maybe um, hard to navigate as well. But because I've had such a great experience with a wonderful teacher um, and mentor and a a wonderful stage director um, who dramatically coaches me um, and... Maestro Fagan and Maestro Conti and even Maestro uh, Kitsopoulos and Maestro Wido. Those are some of the conductors that I've gotten to work with while I was here. Um, They have all brought such a high caliber and expectation for what the music at IU Opera is going to be. And they hold us to professional standards. And Sometimes that's hard to negotiate as a student here, where the academics are fairly rigorous and and expect and demand a lot of you too. And and doing it all can sometimes be daunting, but the nurturing and, and supported capacities that I got at my small liberal arts school experience exists here at IU. Um, it just, I felt, took a little bit of ingenuity on my part to make sure that I garnered that. And now that I feel that I have that, um, I feel like the the acumen of, of going out and making connections and asking people to be mentors and then showing up and delivering on the very 
goals that you and your mentor set is probably the most important thing that I'll take away from Indiana University. I, I know that no opera career is made by one single individual, uh, whether that be a singer, a conductor, uh, or orchestra member, a stage director, a stage manager, like none of us uh, walk alone. None of us uh, do this alone. It's a it's a collaboration constantly. And that's one of the things that excites me about opera is, is the collaborative collaborative nature of it. And so um, being being able to have this training here and to really kind of suss out what I think a good collaborator looks like and how I ask that person to be a part of my team and how we kind of co-shape the trajectory of my path and their path and how those paths intersect have been super meaningful to me. The roles that I have gotten to perform on the Max stage um, are a chorister in Lucia di Lammermoor. Um, that was my first IU opera experience. I was in Carol Vanessa's opera workshop at the time and some of the things that she said about character and, you know, even if you're the tree to the left, you know, you still have to have a fully fleshed out character. She introduced me to Uta Hagen and, and how to really kind of in, get into the underpinnings of shaping a character and interpreting a role. Um, and so I brought that to my chorister experience and it developed a backstory and ever, everything and felt like I really, you know, produced a compelling <laughs> person in, in that time. Next, I was in Hansel and Gretel with Michelle Fagan and Michael Schell um, leading that production. I was the father and got to sing with some great friends. And then following that, I was in Bernstein's Mass as the preacher and a street singer with Maestro um, Kitsopoulos and Candace Evans leading that production. That show was a tour de force. It was huge um, and required me to sing in a slightly different style than opera, which was really interesting to me playing a preacher. Is a funny paradox. When growing up, a lot of people thought I would be a preacher. Um, and so anytime that I get a chance to play one as a character, it always is kind of ironic to me. Yeah, it. I felt that I was really relying on those kind of gospel roots that I have um, in interpreting, you know, a street singer and, and more importantly, the preacher. Um, following that, I was in La Traviata with uh, great friends and Maestro Fagan and uh, Francesca Zambello and Andy Beesum and Michael Schell uh, leading that production. Um, that was immediately before COVID and honestly feels as a blur being on the, I don't know where we are in the COVID process, to be honest, but being on the beginning of a pandemic and closing right before the entire world shuts down really solidifies that particular opera as being a great high for me as far as operatic experiences. I 
remember in the midst of the pandemic, you know, thinking, well, I don't think opera is going to ever get back on its feet. And maybe Traviata was the last opera that I ever sang. And I, I really felt that I had done a, a good job and me and the the rest of the cast had, you know, given our all. And so I was quite proud of our performance. However, um, it, it really just, I don't know, solidified as like the definitive operatic experience. And I, I think a lot of COVID-19 and, and all that uncertainty and everything kind of kind of put it on a pedestal for me. It also was the first operatic experience where I thought, oh, wow, I really want to do this. Not that I could or couldn't, you know, it, it, we saw a Met Opera broadcast in undergrad of Traviata, and I remember just feeling so moved by the storytelling and thinking, like, I, I want to be able to tell stories in that type of way that really moves somebody. I want to do that. The first opera I've ever seen was Magic Flute in high school. I think I was a senior or maybe a junior. And they were doing it at a university in my hometown. And, you know, I, in high school, did show choir and participated in the community school of the arts in my hometown, which was, you know, a, a big deal for me. There was a lot of acting and dance. I tapped jazz and we put on variety shows and it, it just was a really arts enriching experience. And so when I saw Magic Food, I thought, oh yeah, totally. Like I could do that. That seems to kind of have everything that I'm already doing. And Traviata just kind of solidified like, wow, opera is kind of the height of, of telling stories and, and really moving people. And at that time, I had not even taken an Italian class. So I didn't really know what they were saying. I was reading the subtitles, of course, but more importantly, just being moved and, and being present in that, in that wonderful performance. After Traviata here at Jacobs, I did La Boheme uh, in the pandemic. And that presented <laughs> a lot of challenges learning how to 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 act and sing with a piece of fabric covering your face and not being able to fully see the other cast's expressions really, really pushed uh, the bounds, I think, of all of our imaginations and, and how we can physicalize a role versus just emoting with the face, right? So that was... An, an interesting challenge. I definitely am thankful for it because I felt like it helped me ground into my body and utilize it as a tool to really tell the story. Knowing that the people watching on the live stream wouldn't be able to see anything below my nose. <laughs> I, it, it, I, I really had to physicalize the, the role um, as did the other cast and and really emote and, and communicate in that way. Also, we had just come to the point where COVID shots, COVID vaccinations were on the horizon. They were not so hard to get. I think I got my first vaccine during that process. 
and others were as well. Um, and so, you know, kind of navigating how we were feeling with our COVID vaccinations and, and doing the show and worried about illness and mitigation testing. And it just, wow, it, it was quite a different experience. Even for IU Opera, it was, it was quite different. Following La Boheme, um, I got to be in, I guess, what I just did, Falstaff. Falstaff is one of those shows that are, it just is so special to me. I love the music. I love every single character in the show. It, this was my uh, third experience with Falstaff. I got to cover uh, Ford in 20, I want to say 18, at the Martina Royo Prelude to Performance um, program in New York City. And I learned so much through that experience. And, you know, getting to watch Miss um, Arroyo kind of coach us through some acting things and, and be a part of, of that program it really helped me uh, understand how character and voice are connected, but also disparate at the same time. What I mean by that is when I was playing Ford, then um, I was at that age where I, I thought it was very bombastic and shouty and just bah. And so I definitely was singing that way. Um, and so uh, Mark Rucker and Miss Arroyo and even my teacher helped me uh, <laughs> significantly settle into not shouting the role. And the tessitura of that role particularly really would encourage that if you're not careful. Um, and so I think that um, when I re-got the opportunity to do it again in 2019 at a summer program in Italy, playing Falstaff that time, um, I really thought about, you know, the similarities between Ford and Falstaff. Falstaff is, is more jovial, but there are moments where he is pretty shouty as well with Bardolfo and Pistola. And it, yeah, so using the nuggets of wisdom that I got from my first experience and my second experience into this IU opera experience with Falstaff significantly, I think, enriched my experience. Maestro Conti, who is just so charismatic and so dynamic and so invigorating in the rehearsal process um, significantly helped shape my my approach to Falstaff. And Michael Shell, getting to work with Michael's gifted and talented vision for the show, just really helped me embody the character and and really take it to a level that by the end, I think we all were proud of, but to me, I completely transformed my understanding of the show in general. And and it felt like, especially with Maestro Conti in the pit, utilizing the orchestra to, to really give us the sonic background of the show, like it just felt like we were the music and it didn't feel like I was you know, putting on, it, it just felt like I was. And so that experience, I, I'm just so grateful for. I, 
hope to have many more opportunities where I feel that comfortable in a role. And then upcoming, I think, will be my final opera here at IU will be William Grant Stills, Highway 1 USA. And I'm very much looking forward to it. I uh, discovered that opera during some research in my master's program. And I I was studying Troubled Island, a William Grant Still opera, and writing a paper about it. And I came across uh, William Grant Still's operatic, I think his eight or so, um, operas. And just was engrossed and, and... seeing, you know, how the context of the time that he was writing in and the quality of the work that he output and unfortunately the institutional and systemic racisms and injustices that he faced as a black composer in the United States during that time. I I didn't know if I would ever have the opportunity to perform one of his operas. Um, But I was very hopeful and, you know, thought the first opportunity that I get to to really make an impact um, on an opera company season, I I should suggest something like this. And so the fact that we are doing it and like I'm getting to fulfill a dream already at school is just incredible. It just is incredible. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to presenting this work that I spent a lot of time with already and giving voice to someone who is marginalized and an experience that I know well being uh, an African-American, being black, being gay, being a a queer person, being non-binary, being able-bodied but obese in this country. It just really means a lot to me to to be able to um, advance opera in a way that I think now, after the last maybe two years with COVID and us kind of really thinking about the um, social injustices that exist in our country and in the world, it just is very special to me to be able to, to, to do this show here and I'm, I'm very grateful. My favorite uh, memory of Jacobs would have to be all of the incredible friends that I've made here. I don't know that I would have been able to get through this experience without them. I consider myself to be a very confident and resilient person, focused, <laughs> And I love committing myself to things. And so all of the friends that I've made, a handful of them are certainly already in the running to be lifelong friends. And I think that is super important and special about everybody's experience, truly. The friends that we find and make at a place mean something. And I feel that knowing um, a a lot of the connections that I have made won't just stay here at IU just really moves me. I have um, always 
try to make sure that, you know, you treat every person that you meet with dignity and respect um, and kindness. And you hope that that's reciprocated. And if it's not, then you know how to move differently going forward. And the amount of people here at IU now, after four years, um, that I've gotten to meet uh, and love on and, and to know, not on a surface level, deeply, from Teresa and Phyllis in the mail room to uh, some of the custodians that I see when I'm on campus late at night. And to just think about how many people that make a single student me <laughs> to make my journey what it is, it just it just means so much to me because that's community. And I think there's a part of us that whether it is, you know, the bestest of friends that we have or family or mentors or, you know, those those connections that we make with the staff here, you, like you want to represent them. You want to be a good ambassador when you leave this place and enter the the nebulous abyss that is what is an opera career and how is this going to happen there is just a kernel of i hope i make these people proud and a huge sense of gratitude because being in community with others for me um has helped me clarify who i want to show up as in operatic spaces but also just in living life as a human being on this planet, right? Being being a citizen of the world. And so, you know, from John Porter, who was my supervisor at the box office, to Melissa Dixon, to former Dean Richards, and now Dean Allen, the, the way in which I have always felt very connected and, and supported and cared about by so many different people here I think are are already some of my fondest memories and and will be and more importantly the people that come to the shows I'm sorry I'm so emotional about this by the way um I wasn't prepared for this question I guess and being at the end of my IU journey what that would bring up but the people who consistently show up like Marilyn Norris or uh, Mary Alice Cox those people have given so much meaning to my experience here as well and it really helps me think about um, who is in the room when I perform and who was not in the room when I perform and who whose responsibility it is to bridge that gap. And so as as a singer, um, it just is very important to me to make sure that I'm offering something that is true to what the human experience is and also that'll be relatable to the audience based on the lens that, or the background that I come from. And so uh, recently, at Falstaff, I, I've seen a, a lot more people 
around my age and of of a diverse background come and attend the show and and talk to me about the show and engage with me about the show and that has been super meaningful to me as well and I, I think I will think fondly of that as I go forward and it I think not only think fondly of it but let that materialize and transform how I try and connect with audiences So the most trying aspects of me pursuing a degree here, I think, is the challenging family situation that I have. So I mentioned that I grew up in Marion, Indiana. I grew up in a single parent home and we were from a low socioeconomic background. And so every opportunity in the arts that I have had has been um, scholarship-based or just good people noticing that I had talent and wanting to invest in that talent. And so I've been very fortunate and very blessed to be afforded wonderful people who who had a good eye. And and saw some things that maybe my family, who were busy trying to provide, just did not get to see. Now that I am an adult, some of my family members have had very severe health challenges. That has just been very difficult to navigate as the matriarchs of my family um, really struggle with with their health. And so being here and being plugged in and being um, focused on the degree and focused on the performances and recitals and opera performances and all of that has been quite difficult. And, And sometimes, to be quite honest, it really felt as though impossible to to do both, to split myself and to have some be able to be a good grandson, be a good son, be a good brother, um, and sacrifice some things that, you know, a, a master class that I wanted to sing on or an opportunity that I thought would be super important and advance my career. Sacrificing that while also trying to navigate the sacrifice of I can't always be present um, and able to to provide the support that some of my family have really needed because I have opera rehearsal, because I am a doctoral student at a quite prestigious school on this planet, and navigating the social realities that it is to be black at an institution where we are in this point in human history. There are a lot of, you know, unconscious things and maybe some unchecked things that just exist because of bias and and unmitigated and unconscious and systemic racism. And so I I have 
just had a really tough time dealing with that on a personal level. And excuse me for <laughs> divulging. I, I know that that's not something that a lot of people know about because that's not something that you really talk about, I think, in this craft. But I recently had the opportunity to join the Health and Wellness Committee here at Jacobs and and help faculty and staff think about what the Jacobs experience is for students, knowing that we are a quite competitive and rigorous program. And sometimes it feels as though the human experience that we um, are having as far as social norming goes uh, comes subsequent to the artistry and musicianship and and really honing in on that part of our craft and really refining our skills so that we can be at a certain level of greatness and, and meet clearly communicated <laughs> expectations, but also... Um, maybe silent expectations where nobody's really telling you to do X, Y, and Z, but you feel obligated to because of what other people are doing around you. And, and so I feel very lucky to be able to bring that voice into the conversation that if we aren't honoring the basic needs... <laughs> Um, of ourselves, then we're not authentically showing up as ourselves. And we're causing injury to ourselves. And so that has been my experience there. Um, Therapy has super, 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 super um, helped in all of this and helped me kind of reframe and, and feel comfortable being vulnerable in this way, to be quite frank because there have there have been some very challenging moments where a family member has been hospitalized in Fort Wayne and I have a, a, an exam and a class and a rehearsal and a this and a that and I leave rehearsal at 10 p.m. to drive to the hospital which is three hours away and sit with um, that loved one just for a couple of hours because I know that I have a class at 2.30 the next day. And so I wake up in the morning and see them. And then, you know, I spend two hours or two and a half hours and then drive three hours back to Bloomington. And it, it's been quite exhausting to, to really make everything that I felt like was important and salient to me as a, as a family member and as a friend. Um, and as a student, and as a performer, and as just a human being trying to 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 make sure I'm honoring every part of the human experience that I need to honor for me to feel okay has has been really really tricky and really challenging. And I, I'm grateful for those professors who have been very understanding that my situation has sometimes varied from maybe other situations that students have had um and i and i don't think that i am unique to have received support in that way i think most faculty do a really good job of trying to meet those types of needs um for students when they have communicated that 
But there is a sense of shame that I hope that we decenter in in conversations like this going forward. And and usually it's self-inflicted. For me, it always is. I am ashamed that I'm not able to necessarily meet all the expectations that I think are required of me. And so I feel like, oh, I just kind of have to suffer in silence. <laughs> and and that's not the case. My mentors and the team that I have have been super helpful in helping me with managing everything. So currently I am learning the show Three Decembers by Jake Heggie, which I will perform with a South Bend Lyric Opera. And then I come back in the spring and I do uh, Highway 1 USA. And I'll finish coursework up in the spring of 2022. And... I am hoping, based on the timeline that I have set, that I'll be able to finish my degree rather soon, the the additional requirements outside of coursework. I hope to be involved in some combination of performing full-time and and teaching part-time. Teaching has been a great joy to me. Um, I'm, I'm very glad that the Vocology Certificate prepared me in a way to to think about voice function and to think about my own practice and and my own teaching and the AI here I've gotten to teach some pretty terrific people and and help them um, discover and uncover some some wonderful pieces of music and also some some technical foundations and uh, I, I hope to continue to do that in sub-capacity, but there's a big question mark at this point in a young artist's life. <laughs> we don't know. We kind of just uh, persevere and, and you know, keep throwing ourselves at every opportunity that we can have, and I'm no exception to that. Other than all of that, I hope that I get to go fishing. That's something that I used to do a lot before I got here with my family in the summers. And the expectation, I think, um, for me has changed. Now I kind of want to go to a young artist program or, you know, do a festival in the summers. And so that takes time away um, from, from family time. I have a wonderful new niece She'll be a year soon. So I hope to get to spend some time with her and just love on my family and and visit some friends, both here and and from other uh, areas of my life. And just really lean into finding balance as much as possible because I think that's important. (laughs) I think that balance is important. I also am very much looking forward to the research for my dissertation um, or my doctoral final project, rather. I have a big interest in, in, in what I am studying. And so I think that hopefully will be interesting to others as well. Um, and so, yeah, those are the those are the things that I'm looking forward to and that are next for me. I so appreciate this opportunity to share with you all. I really have have nothing but positive emotions and gratefulness about so much of my th- 
my time here at Indiana University and I just really appreciate you all for listening and I hope you all take care of yourselves and um, thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Jeremiah, for joining us on Reminiscing in Time and sharing your truly remarkable Jacob's journey. To learn more about singer Jeremiah Sanders, visit jeremiahmarcelsanders.com by clicking the link in our episode description. And that's our show. For Reminiscing in Time, I'm John Christopher Porter. Thanks for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other. Wear your masks and be safe. Our theme music, Danabar, is by Luke Gillespie and performed by the composer and members of the IU Jazz Studies faculty on the album Moving Mists from Patois Records. The Reminiscing in Time podcast is produced by the Indiana University Jacobs School of Music. Find us on Spotify, social media, or music.indiana.edu.